0: All right. She's rocking and rolling. What's going on? Balance Guru in the house. Really good at balancing. I've seen that. I've seen all your stuff, man. We're doing a, uh, an episode of the penultimate podcast right now. And uh, we're going to get into, if you guys have some questions, um, we'll get into those. And they don't have to be the, there we go. There's one coming in. Um, they don't always have to be the same type of question. The penultimate podcast is powered by Project Pure Athlete. Visit projectpureathlete.com and check out the complete line of PPA training and technique products. All products are created by the Jump Guy and have been used and endorsed by coaches and athletes worldwide. Jump higher, train smarter. You are now listening to the penultimate podcast with the Jump Guy, Tyler Ray, powered by Project Pure Athlete. Jump higher, train smarter. I get a lot of the same questions on a day-to-day basis, and I imagine these are questions that are posed um, to a lot of uh, quote-unquote jump professionals. Um, You know, what are the best exercises, this, that, and the other thing. I've touched on those topics more than anything um, over the years. And I always have the same answer. The same answer to the best exercise to do for vertical jump is um, there are a lot of great exercises for vertical jump. and I think it's a disservice to the athletic performance community to assume that there is one that is the best or the be-all end-all. There are just too many variables. There are too many um, varying degrees of stimulus involved to really pin down anything to be the one best, right? The, the statement I make, and I probably said this on the last podcast, um, is that everything works. It's a matter of how long does it work for? And is it the best idea for you? I'm going to tuck my hair in here. I can like see my hair popping out. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to do that today. Did I ever get the review that you wrote i feel like that happened a long time ago and if you did i probably had it but i would love um, if you still had a copy of that to send it back through we would love to deliver uh, more messages to the community Um, this past let's do this really quickly thanks for joining us on the penultimate podcast hope you like the intro hope you like i put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the podcast sounds professional because then you have to manage and deal with my voice. And let's be honest, can use some work, maybe not. I mean, I I, I, do, I do work very hard um, to deliver my messages very well. There we go, there's a second question, my man. My man, uh, we have one up here that we'll get to, uh, but I wanted to kind of fill everybody in a little bit first on what happened this last weekend and some of the things in the works for the future. So I um, have a gentleman in town with me this um, Actually, last week and then this week as well. Joseph Everson, uh, some of you might know him just from the Instagram space, and Joseph reached out to me uh, following a jump analysis that he actually took a nice, almost four-hour drive up from Ohio um, to see me at the PPA at the old PPA headquarters uh, for a jump analysis. And We had a wonderful time. He's a great guy, um, a young guy, twenty years old, kind of just um, birthing into um, the you know the space, going into a second year of. Um, Uh, kinesiology um, down in Ohio and he said hey can I do a um, an internship with you over the summer and we found some weeks that work so he's been with me for the last week he'll be here this week and he'll be here um, for the PPA level one certification as well and uh, Joe's been a great addition learning lots and what we did was last week I put out a little bit of a kind of blast to the social to let people know that I'd be in Toronto um, on Friday to do some jump analysis. And uh, we had a couple people that reached out that wanted access to that. So we worked two jump analysis, kind of back to back out of the athlete matrix, which is my buddy Reed Hall's gym. It's in Mississauga. It's a phenomenal space. It's like 50,000 square feet. And I'm talking like if you've been in a, into a gym that's 50,000 square feet, nothing, nothing ever will look um, large enough ever again. So a little bit of gym envy there for sure. And they do a wonderful job with all their training. So if you're in the Mississauga area, definitely drop in and see Reed at the Athlete Matrix. I believe it's on Wolfdale um, Avenue Street, something like that. And uh, stop in and see Reed. Tell Reed that I sent you and uh, he'll give you a big old high five. But we did this analysis. Um, That was a lot of fun. We worked with uh, two gentlemen, um, Gavin and Arthur, who both came in to take a look, kind of a deeper look into their jump and kind of see what's going on. That's how the analysis works is I really just bring people in. I let them, I say, warm yourself up the same way you would for any type of game or any type of jump. Like how would you get yourself to jump your highest? I kind of sit back. I watch that happen. I have them test initially on the Vertec uh, counter movement, full approach jump. I take some video, um, I then kind of bring them back, I warm them up, um, you know, PPA style for jumping, and then we get them back on for a retest, and then I sit down with them and kind of show them the before and after of the video, and uh, then they get provided with a, um, a, an analysis that does a comparison, um, which I'm getting around to a little bit later today. And then we went and hung out with my buddy, Jason, who is a coach and trainer as well, a wonderful coach and trainer in Oakville, Ontario. And we saw his gym over at Conquer Fitness. And that is another space um, that was wonderful and a lot of potential there. So uh, the moral of the story is, is if you are a, an athlete, a coach, uh, basically anybody that has interest in what we do here at Project Pure Athlete, um, I will be trying to make more frequent trips up to the Toronto area of Mississauga and Oakville, and I'll be able to do things like jump analysis work. Um, I will be looking likely to host one of the upcoming PPA Level 1 certifications in Toronto, which will allow me to open it up to as many people as I'd like, because when you have 50,000 square feet, you have nothing but real estate. You want to pack people in there. So keep kind of on the lookout for that over the next little while. All right, let's get around to some questions here. The best way, what is the the what is a way? Okay, the question is, what is a way? This is from the Instagram handle. Um, I think it's Logan, but it's G-R-Y-Z Logan says, what is a way I can increase my penultimate step? Should I just work on my flexibility? So what I imagine the question is, is it's in regards to how do I increase the efficiency and effectiveness of the penultimate stride? Because... The, the goal is not always just to make the penultimate longer because we have to find out what longer is in the context of your potential. When it comes to the penultimate stride and the recent case study that um, I performed with uh, Ricky Norton and uh, Tyler Standifer down in Utah, we found out that the correlate for the elite level jumpers is they typically have uh, about a 20%, uh, was it 20%? can't remember the stats off, off the top of my head. I want to say 20%. I think it was 22, actually, longer relative penultimate stride to the other control group that we had, which was kind of the advanced jumper. So a longer penultimate stride is advantageous, but within the, the, the confines of your potential, meaning that if we stride too far and we get that plant foot too far ahead of the body... um, what's going to happen is when that that plant foot contacts the ground too far in front of the body, we get additional braking forces that actually prevent us from translating um, horizontal speed, kind of amortizing that speed efficiently through our plant sequence. So we have to find that pocket that is long enough to increase potential energy, to put us into a good position where we orientate our center of mass better in relationship to our plant foot and not so far that we obviously reduce the acceleration through. So the way that you can work on the penultimate stride, Um, is, sorry, I got my phone blowing up here. Just turn that over and ignore it. Sorry, whoever just texted me a whole bunch of times. Um, Is that you can do things such as we have the penultimate jab. We have, obviously, the the push-punch drill, which is really just a two-stride drill where we work on the urgency of push. Because when it comes to the penultimate stride, what we're trying to create here is a behavior. We're trying to create the behavior of active pushing through this stride. I don't really care as much about how how long or how flexible the stride looks. Some athletes have a penultimate stride where their legs split like extremely far apart and it's very pretty looking, right? Long lines and they jump well, but I've also seen jumpers. I was one of these jumpers um, that have a little bit more of a compact kind of um, hip girdle when it comes to the extension through the, um, through the actual pelvis itself. It's really about covering horizontal distance. It's the behavior of pushing, creating horizontal push distance into that plant foot so that we accelerate through the the plant sequence and conversely off the ground into the air and then land as a result. So I would work on some of those drills. You could play around with things like overspeed uh, drills. So on the PPA YouTube, which is side note, not a lot of people have subscribed to the PPA YouTube. For the, for the size of Instagram that we have here and the amount of information that I share through Instagram, I share kind of a, a larger breadth of information through the PPA YouTube, meaning that the videos are longer. Um, I mic up, so I throw my lav mic on. I do a lot of like more intensive coaching through that platform. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are watching me right now through Instagram live and you have not taken the two seconds to go over to YouTube, go to the PPA um, channel, which is youtube.com slash project pure athlete and hit the red subscribe button. Do that, do that for you. Do that for me. If you want do that for your friend, if that's um, what you need as motivation, but do something that relates to my um, YouTube. <clears throat> Oops! I just punched my microphone. Next question. Next question. The role that mentality has in training and jumping, i.e., positive attitude, visualization, etc. Great question. This is a this is a topic that isn't touched enough. This is a topic that isn't expanded upon enough, especially as it relates to jumping. When I go and I work with um, you know big populations, let's say for instance, I just recently was in Utah with the dunk camp and some of you um, that are listening might have been there some of you that are watching and listening might have heard of it some of you might be like what the hell is the dunk camp well I'll tell you what the dunk camp is the dunk camp is a basically a a full week worth of aspiring professional dunkers current professional dunkers um, just athletes in general that come together Um, with a common purpose of wanting to become better at dunking and jumping and understanding themselves as athletes. So I go there as um, a a jump professional, and I spend every single day with these athletes working on components of technique, and we do a pre-test, and then we do a post-test four days later. By four days later, I really mean like three because it's Monday to Thursday. Um, The only intervention we have in there is... um, you know, dunk technique practice and jump technique practice. And then that we test these athletes, you know, counter movement and full approach jump again on the Thursday. And this year we had a 99% success rate. We had every athlete minus, I believe one, maybe two that jumped actually the same as they jumped on the first day, jump higher. And you know, the argument made is that, well, that could just be that, you know, some neurological priming happened with jumping the day before. Well, here's what actually happened is these athletes not only tested day one, they had dunk sessions all day, day two, they jumped all day, day three, they jumped all day and worked out. So these athletes from a neurological perspective were in quite a deficit. So in all rights, when we retest on the Thursday, it's, you know, to be able to see an improvement in that short a time. And some of these improvements were dramatic. I'm talking, you know, three to five inches on their full approach vertical. And these jumps start to look very different. And a lot of it is the intent behind it. But a lot of it is the mentality that surrounds the jumper. Meaning, how do you approach this jump? Kind of all puns intended, if I'm being honest. Is how do you approach this jump? So what I did on Thursday was I spent the entire day working with every single athlete in a one-on-one setting at the full approach jump station. So everybody got to experience some jump guy coaching in person. And I would say seven times out of 10, it's not a positional issue at that point because we'd had so much, you know, we'd had technique work already. We did some breakdowns. We give reference and kind of the, um, the understanding of what a jump should look like or at least the behaviors behind it. So when it comes down to testing day, these athletes kind of have some stuff figured out. We've played around with some things on the side. So it's like, it's just ready to test. And I just spend some time with these athletes helping them kind of insert themselves into their effort from a, um, an anchoring perspective, from a visualization perspective and a breathing perspective. And it's incredibly powerful, powerful enough that people are standing around watching I'll approach the athlete they'll jump they'll you know jump a little bit higher I'll have a little bit of a discussion and I'm talking this happens over you know a 30 to 40 second interval and then they go and they jump higher and then people start to look at each other then they look at me and they're like what are you saying that's probably the most common um, the most common comment is what did you say to them and a lot of times it has nothing to do with the jump itself. It's more so about helping that athlete kind of downregulate a little bit of their their anxieties, their tension through some breathing, and a little bit of uh, reducing the expectation of that test or jump itself. And this doesn't relate all, only to testing. This is in a an athletic context as well. When you're on the field of play, on the court of play is how do I keep myself anchored and rooted in the fact that I'd lo- I want to do well, but I don't put so much of an expectation on myself that I don't perform for a split second that I kind of unravel. And I think we've all been there, right? If you're watching on Instagram Live, if you're listening to this podcast, we've all been there before where you go in with the best intentions in the world. And something happens at one point or another that has you doubt yourself. And then you start to slowly unravel and things become more and more disconnected. And when things become disconnected in the world of jumping it translates itself into the physical as well. So we start seeing that the jump connectedness, which is a term that I've used quite frequently here with PPA, starts to become affected. One step leading into the other, we start getting competing forces, we start getting hesitancy in strides, and we start getting hesitancy in the behaviors that surround the jump. Best jumpers in the world are... are oftentimes the, some of the more competent athletes which means that they have the traits that go along with it which is understanding that confidence plays a role um, understanding that acceptance plays a role that the attitude towards a jump plays a role and it's and it's when is appropriate to introduce things like aggression and um, you know that that kind of more aggressive attitude that some people thrive off of and then other people thrive off of keeping things a little bit more chill. I was a very anxious athlete, I'm a very anxious person in general. I managed that on my own. That's a, that's a story for another day. And what I would have to do a lot of the times is <clears throat> is breathing-related drills and um, kind of flex and relax-related drills where it was trying to get my, mus- my muscles and my neuromuscular system to just chill the fuck out. Like things were so intense at times that like just my legs would stop working like when you're dealing and managing things like anxiety and performance anxiety it does from a neurological perspective affect the way in which your your muscles contract the velocity at which they contract the uh your spatial awareness capacity proprioception things like that get affected by the concept of anxiety so mentality plays a massive 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 role great question let's keep going here i know i got a lot of people i'm kind of at the top of this here okay can you do a b- jump breakdown of a one foot jumper like Josh Smith? I can definitely do a, a breakdown of a one foot jumper. I have a few that are on my channel. I have some one foot content on the PPA YouTube as well. And I did, I worked with a lot of one foot jumpers at the Dunk Camp and a lot of other places that I work. So, um, you know, one foot and two foot jumping although they visually look quite different, have a lot of correlates. They have a lot of things that really complement each other when it comes to the coaching. And a lot of that is to do with what we talked about, mentality. Um, you know, approach speed management, so maximum controlled velocity, finding out where that is appropriate for you. And then lastly is, is orientation of center of mass, is making sure the body parts are in the right position through the right um, you know components or, or phases of the jump to affect the outcome. I think that the common denominator I see or the uh, most common faults made by athletes when it comes to jumping is trying to jump too hard too often, meaning that when it's like, okay, I'm not quite where I want to be, I'll just jump harder. And sometimes jumping harder works, but oftentimes jumping harder causes us to shortchange a lot of the biomechanical efficiency of a jump simply because we're trying to out jump and we're, we're affecting kind of the natural cadence and rhythm of our body. Can you speak on the importance or lack thereof for heel contact landing after the penultimate stride? So the, the heel through the transition of the penultimate to the plant um, will contact. It, it, it will only not contact if the penultimate is really null, meaning it's not really as prevalent. Because the, the reason we're going to see the contact is because we're extending the leg, we're extending our, our lower limbs in front of us the contact point in order to to manage where the center of mass is in relationship to your plant it's going to require heel contact the heel contact's not going to be so substantial that it causes heel injury unless for some reason you jump into your through your penultimate stride which is what we really um uh, urge against it's more so that horizontal that pushing um, movement if we're jumping meaning we're creating a a vast arc through that push and then the Trajectory is much more um, vertical when you hit the ground. Then you could injure the the heel. I've never really seen it happen before, um, but it's important that the that the heel does make a very brief contact point. What you'll see is that the heel hits, and then the full foot will contact the ground. And most oftentimes it will rotate as the block is being applied. Because what's happening is that the plant is searching for a platform of takeoff. In association with that block foot. Um, there are a few athletes that I've seen that have jumped with a very linear plant and a very perpendicular block, meaning that it's like turned 90 degrees to the plant. But those athletes are, are usually ones that have built a, a substantial amount of resiliency amongst the hip. I would never coach that. I typically try to coach that for the degree of turn in or, or medial rotation of the of the block foot that we have um, a fairly representative amount of, of external rotation of that plant foot to ensure that our, our takeoff platform is still relatively bipedal in the sense that it's obviously bipedal, but more so that it's, um, that they're parallel to each other, it's going to be a little bit more advantageous. Think about doing a back squat or a deadlift, right? We don't line our feet up with one turned in. We, we typically have them for a, from a force application standpoint. The reason we turn our plant and block foot is really more so to deal with <clears throat> the, the acceleration management and the braking forces that, that it applies. So good question. There we go. Scrolling down. Scrolling down, here we go. Thoughts on box squats with really heavy weight. Um, box squats with really heavy weight, um, again relative to your to your potential, um, can play a, a very important role in in uh, performance training. Box squats are a great way to um, progress someone into a back squat. They're also something to utilize um, with within the confines of a program for an athlete that has progressed as well. I still use box squats here and there. They they kind of um, eliminate a little bit of that bottom end stabilization, which can be advantageous to being able to um, move a higher load of weight. Um, But again, it's like, I wouldn't say like do box squats with heavy weight and that's the way you're going to jump higher. I would say that it's important that you continually introduce, um, a variety of stimulus into your program. But again, not in the sense that you're changing the types of exercises you're doing on a weekly, monthly basis. It's that meaning that if you're, you're going through a cycle of training and you've progressed, because really what we're looking for is the concept of progressive overload. And a lot of times you know, we can utilize similar movements over a long period of time, as long as we've, you know, um, accounted for the, the need and necessity of progressive overload. So thoughts on box squats with really heavy weight, the, the moniker of really, I don't know what that means. If it's like really heavy for you, meaning that it's hard to manage, then no. If it's really heavy in the sense that it's like, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing threes or fives with a really heavy weight that I can manage, then of course, of course. There we go. Yeah, I'm showing one foot jumping love. It's funny, I'm, I'm doing this podcast and also doing Instagram Live. So podcast listeners, if I'm kind of talking to myself, I'm talking to the peeps. I'm talking to the peeps. I appreciate you, Instabook cheat codes. I'm just looking to jump higher. What would be the best exercises to do? You just jumped in here, Jalen. Um, we mentioned this at the start of the cast and the start of the, of the Instagram Live is that I I don't typically give the best exercise to do or best exercises to do. Um, I I really, I'm a coach and and a coach's job is to educate on the importance of implementation of, of structure and consistency and doing something. Meaning that you should squat, you should pull, so variations of deadlift, push pull with your upper body, flex, extend, rotate, all of the different planes of action should be addressed. And that is the important part. It's not searching for the key. And last week or last podcast, we touched on the search for the key, but understanding that the athlete's lifestyle, the athlete the athlete journey is not that. The athlete journey is small piece of the puzzle every day, large picture, and it's a very um, longitudinal Um, course of action and that's what we're looking for we're not looking for the key if there was a key we'd have a lot of fucking really like way more super successful athletes than we have right now and we look at those people and go they must have found the key they didn't find the key they didn't find the key they just didn't give up on 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 assembling their puzzle and they just see more of the picture now and there's factors in there yes people are going to go well there's genetic factors fucking of course there's genetic factors let's be real here But the ones, and I'll say it again, I'll probably say this every podcast, the athletes that jump the highest, the best athletes in the world are largely the ones that are the most obsessed with the process. That's it. That's what's up. So we have people joining on here. What's crack and people jumping onto Instagram live. We're doing really well. We're podcasting right now. If you can't tell, this is like not just how I hang around um, at the house while I'm working. I had that podcast drop last week i've reached out to a few people we do have some guests um, kind of on the docket for um, the podcast coming up we have josh barina who will be on uh probably the first guest that i bring on mr spiderpin Wheezy. Uh he's super geeked to get on there as well um we also who else do i have coming onto the podcast that i talked to my man Mick, my man Mick, and if you don't know Mick, you should know Mick. Mick, the the 5'5 five, five, um, dunker, jumper, and also phenomenal coach he will be on. The name of the podcast is The Penultimate Podcast, and it is also on... Um, what's going on, Alex? The penultimate podcast is on your, um, Apple podcast app. It's also available if you're on Android through Stitcher, I believe SoundCloud's another way to access it as well. Um, but this episode will be posted just like all the other ones, uh, to the Apple podcast app. Um, so you can go ahead and listen to that. There's, I think if I'm not mistaken, this is episode five. Um, I was actually the host of the full depth podcast, which I still go on and we with my buddy Mike and we chat every now and then. Uh, but I believe we had almost 60 episodes of the full depth podcast, very fitness oriented um, nutrition lifestyle, things like that. We did some we dove down the, the rabbit hole of CrossFit for a while um, and interviewed some really cool people. So if you like podcasts and, and specifically you like my podcasts, then go listen to that. There's some fun ones. Yes, he has a 38 inch drop jump. Mick is a very powerful, um, focused, responsible, level headed person that I took to uh, very quickly, and him and I um, hit it off as uh, from a from a colleague perspective and just a personal standpoint. Um, I, I I really respect him. I think he has a bright future um, in this industry, and uh, we'll bring him on the podcast, and we're gonna chat. So if you have people that you would like to see on the podcast, uh, let me know and I will reach out. And I'm sure that most people I reach out to will want to come on the podcast and hang out, um, especially if they already know who um, I am, who this, what this podcast is. If there's somebody that I'm not familiar with um, and you have the hookup, why don't you hook it up? If you're listening to this podcast... You think you'd be an appropriate guest. This is not going to be just another strength and conditioning podcast. Not that those aren't amazing because I have. I listen to a lot of strength and conditioning podcasts. This podcast is designed more so to address the variables that not a lot of people address, which is kind of the behind the scenes, the things that people don't necessarily Put as much stock in that I put a great deal of stock in. The entire philosophy, the entire glue that holds PPA together is sometimes we must slow down in order to speed up. And this is not just from a physical standpoint. This is from a, a life and and more so um, kind of the introspective management standpoint. You you need to slow down at times in order to speed up. It's a perspective anchoring um, lifestyle that we live in as an athlete. It's like we, can, we have visions of grandeur. Everybody wants to, he, to be here. Like when, I, when I'm there, I'll be happy. But understanding how to value and utilize the process to vault you towards your goals faster. Um, Jason has a question. What can I do to get more consistent? I think I'm pretty athletic. Uh, my head is an inch lower than half of the rim is an inch lower, my head is an inch lower than half of the rim. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what that means, but I'm gonna say you're jumping and you'd like to jump higher. Um, and I'm 5'9", okay guys, I'm trying to, and I just have to be consistent. I wanna start lifting. So if you're not lifting already, That's something you can start with and what I recommend is if you're introducing um, strength protocol or weight room work into your regime, if you're an athlete that just kind of rode the athlete train for a while from the perspective of gameplay and things or skill work, um, I recommend starting with a, a lower volume of training and lower frequency, something along the lines of two to three days a week implementing something in and then you can then you can add on as you become consistent at that level. Number one mistake. Number one mistake for brand new athletes in the gym, biting off way more than you can chew and getting yourself buried quickly from a physical standpoint, but more so from a cognitive standpoint, it seems very overwhelming. And that's where the consistent consistency will, will waver is you'll be gung-ho for the first week. You'll go out, you'll hit five, six days of training. You'll wake up on Sunday. You'll feel like someone fucking beat you to death with a bat and you'll go, I need like two, three days off to rest. And then you'll go in and hit one and then it'll be like two days off. And then all of a sudden three, three weeks passed and you're back to really not lifting. So the most important thing to understand is it's a process. Each day is a puzzle piece. So space it out and, and knowing that the journey of an athlete is much further than you can see, okay? And we tend to do that. We, we think there's so much urgency behind an athlete's life, right? I have to do it now. If I don't do it now, and if I don't get there now or next week, it's, I'm going to fail, and it's not going to be worth it. That's, that's just not how it works, a level anybody that's been a coach or an athlete that's been in and done well and went far is understanding that it's not about that it's not about next week or next month it's about next year three years five years and putting a plan in place that helps you progress controlled slow and steady so that you don't have to take the you know those um injury vacations we'll call them it's not really a vacation but you know what i'm talking about for someone who is five foot five, is a thirty-five inch vert good? For someone that is any height, a thirty-five inch vertical is good. Understand that from a from a um, like kind of an anthropomorphic perspective, and 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 you know how tall your limb length, all that stuff is. It's all relative, right? Like jumping thirty-five inches at 5'5 is to me is is impressive as jumping thirty-five inches at six one. It's it's really just. You have the capacity. I know some, you know, there would be arguments made that that leverage and levers will contribute to jumping higher. Yes, um, long story short, very impressive, uh, but we always have room to grow. Our ceiling is always a little bit higher than we expect it to be. So not getting complacent, but in the same breath with not being complacent is still celebrating the small victories you know, if you're anything like me, especially in my early stages of my career, and still now from more from like a business perspective is I will accomplish something that in all rights is is quite impressive, or is is monumental in my life. But it's like, I'm always thinking I can do more, and I can be better, and I can go further, and I can blah, 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 blah. It's the, the understanding that without anchoring in those moments and saying, this is a, an accomplishment. I've done something well. I, I kind of validate that, um, that success and validate that moment. You, you have less of them as a result of that. So taking the moment to say, good, like I, I got it, awesome. And then putting a plan in place to move further forward. It's not skipping over those those small victories, right? We have to take manageable bites and we might as well savor each bite. Your favorite jumper. So my favorite jumper, um, t dub. Would be nice to hear you guys talk about techniques and mentality. Oh, you're saying as a as a um, as a guest? I say bring T Dub on the podcast and talk about technique and mentality, especially for short, short jumpers. I can reach out to Terry and see if he wants to come on the podcast. I'm I'm not certain he will. Uh, maybe he will. Um, not that he, you know, because it's me or anything like that. I just don't know necessarily if he has the desire to be on podcasts. I had some talks with. Um, with T Dub, when we were in Utah, and he was part of the case study that we um, that we put in place, looking at two foot mechanics, and he had some interest there. But T Dub is a guy who, in in you know all all intents and purposes, he he, he loved dunking and he was he's gifted very much so from a genetic standpoint put a lot of hard work but he was a consistent athlete meaning that like he leaned into what helped him which is largely he jumped a lot Um, I don't know from a training perspective what he did or what he didn't do um, but from a, a strictly athletic performance perspective, phenomenally talented, um, a, a definitely an outlier in the game. Uh, but from a technical standpoint, um, I'm pretty firm on T Dub had some of the of the of the most beautiful um, positions and behaviors when it came to jump technique that I've ever seen. Connor, if you want to ever just talk about life, I'm down to talk. Yeah, we'll bring Connor Barth on here. We'll bring Connor Barth. Maybe what we'll do is we'll like bring Connor on here as after you do your level one. So Connor has signed up for level 1 cert in September and I'd love to have you on post cert to kind of debrief the certification. talk about that a little bit and then we'll go into some we'll go into some life talk. I think that'd be cool as well. Any advice how to deal with tibialis interior tightness, weakness causing knee pain? Regular foam rolling helps, but after taking a couple months off from jumping, I'm still only about 65%. A lot of times when you're, when, a, when a muscle is tight or is, is maybe even hypertonic, that there could be some upstream issues there. If it's really just like that one area just feels like it's never um, never relaxing, it's likely because we have some compensatory issues. Um, tone from another area of the body that's suffering and like the the mass majority of time it's uh we flip around and we can hit the other side of the leg so something along the lines of your calf uh, soleus achilles complex is addressing jumpers typically have very very tight calves as a result of jumping and impact which is important to a threshold Uh, but what will happen is if we get to a point it's too tight doesn't fire properly it will pull in um, a lot of the um a lot of the, the balancing structures to be able to make up for that. So I would address what's happening on the back of the leg and not just taking the tight area and t- trying to destroy it and steamroll it. When you're working any type of rolling, <clears throat> self-myofascial release, things like that, it's very important to remember that your musculature, the the fascial system, and, and the muscle bellies themselves are um, need to be worked at, almost visualized like an onion, right? We have layers, and what we're trying to do is kind of progressively peel back the layers of the onion versus taking like a lacrosse ball or a foam roller and just slamming it into the muscle belly where it's sore. What will happen in your body is this phenomenal construct of, of, um, you know, understanding what stimulus is or at least what sensation is. When you jam something in to the muscle belly, what do you think happens? That muscle belly is going to contract. It's going to protect itself because it doesn't have any idea of whether that is a lacrosse ball that's coming in to help you or whether that's someone's fist punching in in, in dissatisfaction. So it's important that you introduce that stimulus in a very controlled way, slowly and kind of um, visualize peeling back the layers of the tissue, the layers of the fascia and working deeper and deeper and deeper. It's also smart as well if you understand origin and insertion points of muscles is to work on the origin and insertion points first of the areas of lower vascularity lower blood flow, and then progress into the belly of the muscle. And that is, again, from the purposes of trying to saturate that tissue and introducing that stimulus in such a way that your muscles don't just kind of kick you out and protect. And that's what's going to happen is you're going to get that muscle that just kind of locks up, doesn't let you in. It's in a protection mode. The nervous system is not letting it relax. So peeling it away layer by layer and then implementing the uh, a long slow breathing a belly breathing technique right in through the belly exhale nice and slow to kind of not suffice it to say trick but it's but it's reassure the nervous system that this is um, for our own benefit and I'm not trying to destroy you and beat you up there we go what are some good exercises without weights for jumping higher anything you do with weights is a great exercise without weights. so even squatting lunging um, hinging, single leg hinges, double leg hinges. Um, and and then as a strength base, you can definitely incrementally get stronger with body weight to a point, obviously from a relative standpoint before you need to progressively overload, but you can most definitely do every single, mostly every single movement without, um, weights, uh, from an upper body perspective, we can push with the upper body. We can pull with the upper body so we can hang below things and pull our back hitting more of that mid back rhomboid, um, you know, um, posterior delt, we can we can pull vertically in a pull-up. If we can't do a pull-up, you can do negatives. If you can't do negatives, you can do more horizontal pulling. So there are a vast array of, of exercise selection to do in, with body weight. And um, I know I've said this and I And it pains me to say this where it's like, I have been working on this program. I've been working on programs for a while and I I know I haven't um, added to the insider group in a little bit. There are some programs in there and that are very, very good. So if you're listening and you're looking for training, the PPA insider community is a wonderful start. I know I have some insiders on my live right now, uh, but I will be implementing a um, body weight. So a six week body weight program into there uh, for jumping as well as a, a more advanced program as well. We're just working through this certification course, and this is not sounding. This is not meant to be complaining by any means. It's I do have a lot on the plate right now, and I'm trying to manage it all best I can. So, bear with me. Bear with me. Um, Busy pro fitness ass hide does jumping four to five inch higher with two foot than a one foot run up. Mean I need to focus more on speed and flexibility. So the question is, let me just read this again. So I have the. Um, it all in context. Does jumping, let's say five inches higher with a two foot than a one foot mean I need to work? Oh, like, again, you have to understand that the the way in which we exhibit our vertical potential is largely, hin- hinges, on, um, largely hinges on the um, kind of neuromuscular um, setup of the body, meaning that like I was a uh, one foot jumper largely in track and field. At that point, I was a little bit lighter, a lot more reactive. I did a lot of sprinting. So like the, the patterns that I did on a regular basis were a lot more um, conducive to a one foot approach. As I started to transition into dunking and I started to lift a lot more bipedally, I did a lot more um, you know heavy squats, heavy deads, all these things. The And then I got a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier. I started to realize that a two foot approach served my um kind of physiology a little bit better when it came to jumping my highest. So it's really finding out like where that is, what that's doing for you and whether or not you really need to concern yourself too, too much with, um, the other style of jump. That being said, you can most definitely improve. um, and a lot of it's just going to do if you're having an issue with one foot, it's probably more so from a stability standpoint from a ankle, knee, hip stability standpoint. And then strength is if you don't have, sufficient enough strength in a single limb your body is really going to regulate the amount of energy it allows it to transfer through that limb to to avoid injury so you'll kind of underperform on one foot um, over two feet so i would again it's an implementation a little bit more of of some strength related work Um, single leg hops could really help you out with um, dynamic stability and translation of energy those are available in the ppa youtube Um, but yeah that's that's what we want to look at there's there's a lot of variables and it's very difficult to like pin Anything down to one um, thing. Does speed affect it for sure? But running faster doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean you run faster, which means you go into a one foot takeoff because a one foot power jumper has a speed that's very very similar to a two foot jumper now a one foot speed jumper I mean you require speed you have to run fast but there are very few natural one foot speed jumpers uh, that I know of that's usually a byproduct of of track and field Um, if you've learned to jump as a speed jumper that's you're a little bit more of an anomaly don't see them too too often we only had one um, at dunk camp this year shout out to Cami. all right Let's keep scrolling. How much do I think my vertical or a vertical can improve without weights? I don't know. I'd be speculating um, in terms of percentages or how high. But the answer, do I think it can? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I get some thank yous. Okay. Got some questions about knee pain. We have people answering questions for me. this is great. Uh, let me just keep scrolling down here. I, if I skip your question, it's not because I don't want to answer it. It's because, well, well, maybe it is because I don't want to answer it. <laughs> is it okay to train upper body as a dunker? hundred percent. Is it, imp- it's, in my opinion, it's imperative to train your upper body as any type of athlete in the jumping, in the jumping scope, when it comes to upper body, your upper body is largely important, right? Our upper body is responsible for a handful of things. One is some hip extension, uh, which is going to be a lot of posterior chain, upper body, back, lower back, things like that. Um, Midline, midsection, core, that complex, how it integrates and how it works together. Does it have the ability to to produce, translate um, rotational forces, linear forces? And then upper body arms, shoulders, upper back arms, they are responsible for obviously the arm drive. And arm drive is a contributing factor to velocity for extension and lift. So 100% are calf raises a good exercise to increase your vert calf raises are a great accessory piece to put into a program for vertical yeah they help to um you know build additional resiliency amongst the the calf and the, and the tendons um and also um strength so yes you can use those but you wouldn't want to do those just on their own how old am i jack wants to know how old i am um the question is jack how old do you think i am just kidding i'll be 35 in like a month what day is it today What's the actual day? Maybe it's less than a month now. It is. I don't know. Open date and time preferences. It's the 22nd. Well, never mind. Less than a month. I will be 35 years old. 35 years young. Um, in the last 10 years, women athletes have been on the rise. How long do you think before women will be at the athletic ability of most high school men today? Again, speculation. I don't know. There are a lot of female athletes that can compete with high school men, uh, but there are a lot of, of, of you know, biological um, um, aspects that don't work in the favor of women to be as, uh, I guess, um, gifted at the highest ends of things like power, output, and speed. I mean, they're limited by certain things and largely by, by hormone, and that's something that at that point, you know, I, I love female sports and I think that they should, you know, females should continue to progress and, and find out naturally where that lies. I have no idea. It's, it's too much of a speculation for me to get into. Um, but, but a cool thought, um, when you said jump approach should be smooth. This is from Kenny Wang. I've worked with Kenny at the dunk camp. Can you explain it more? Yeah. So smoothness. Or connectedness and this will probably be one of the last um, questions I answer for today but smoothness and connectedness really refers to the transitional stride so like one step to the next transition through penultimate into plant sequences we don't want to have a lot of kind of competing forces meaning that if we try to over jump and jump too hard we take away a little bit of that natural smooth acceleration of that connectedness. So it's really just the integration of, of our effort into kind of the natural ebbs and flows of our physiology. So it's like, how, how do we utilize our natural locomotive structure without, without trying to muscle things too much, I guess is the right way to put it. And that's really what smoothness is, is it's learning how to transition through strides that would largely, um, kind of provide those competing forces in a way that is smooth so largely through that penultimate stride plants plant and block is where we see a lot of disconnect we want to see that that uh, acceleration not change from plant to block to, to toe off we want to see it smoothly transition through those strides and that's going to be largely to do with the the relationships that you have with your center of mass so smoothness is kind of just a way to refer to how well you are connected to the jump and that there are not a lot of competing forces happening. You're not, if you watch the jump, you don't see kind of like slow, fast, slow, fast. It's kind of a progressive um, slow to fast transition. Okay, am I going to, yes, I'll save the live in my story. And I'm actually going to hop off live right now. I'm going to start kind of outroing this podcast, but this has been a pretty cool little um, little mix up with the podcast, not mix up, um, switch up, change up. Let's go with change up. been a cool change up. Finding something to do for today, a little Q&A. We'll do these every once in a while. We'll go live. We'll do a podcast with some Q&A style. If you have questions that you'd like answered, you can send them to projectpureathlete at gmail.com. You can DM me through Instagram at projectpureathlete, and uh, we can get to those in an upcoming podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure as always to cast with you guys and girls is to to pass on as much information as i possibly can in future podcasts like i mentioned we'll have guests on and we'll dive into uh you know more of the depths of the areas of training and performance that really are largely overlooked and underappreciated this is tyler ray the host of the penultimate podcast the head coach the ceo the the man in charge of project pure athlete we'll see you in the next one You are now listening to the penultimate podcast with The Jump Guy, Tyler Ray. Powered by Project Pure Athlete. Jump higher. Train smarter.